0: Welcome to the Seth Bargman On Podcast, from startup to stock exchange. Good afternoon. So first of all, I want to give a big thank you to Ossie Weinberger and everybody at TribeWorks for putting together this incredible event. got a, uh, a great mission behind it, and the marketing that they did in a very short period of time is extremely impressive, so great job. I look around the room, and frankly, you and I share something in common. What is it that we share? There's a certain DNA that everybody that's sitting in this room right now has. It's that DNA that says, I'm not interested in a nine to five job. It's the DNA that says, I'm not satisfied with a set paycheck every week. I'm up here today, not because I have any secret sauce or secret formula, but just to share with you some experiences, both good and bad, and hoping that we can learn from them. I wanna make it very clear that I feel as if I am one of you. I'm not a Harvard grad, I'm not a tech guru, I don't know how to code or program, I don't have some sort of algorithm that made millions of dollars. I'm a regular guy that looks for a service or a product and tries to scale it. But what I'm hoping to accomplish today with you is two things. The first, is that I'd like to share some sort of spark or some sort of insight into the life of an entrepreneur, existing businesses or those contemplating businesses, of what it's like to be under the hood. And for some of you, you may say, that's not for me, and that's okay. That's something learned. The other thing that I want to do for you is what I like when I go to an event or a conference. I want something practical. I want tools and tips that I can leave from here, go back to the office, and start to execute on So I'm hoping we can give that over as well. Let me just take a minute and give you a sense of where I'm coming from. So I started a company in 02 called Vintage Filings with a dear partner. His name is Shai Stern out of Los Angeles. And we did SEC filings for public companies, a bit of a niche industry. And within five years, Baruch Hashem, we grew it to about 100 employees, uh, servicing about 3,000 public companies. And then in 07, we were bought out by PR Newswire. And that was it. I was done. I had the bug. I had been bitten by this concept of taking an idea, growing it, and scaling it. And so, Baruch Hashem, we did it again. We had a company called V Corp Services out of Muncie, where we would help companies incorporate. Grew to about 10,000 clients, and we were bought out by Walters Clore. And so, then I was really done. I was like, okay, this is great. And then, right now, I spend my time between a company called VCheck. We do background checks, VStock. We service about 1,000 public companies, esignature It's an online platform. But I'm only mentioning this to you to demonstrate that it's a very simple idea. I try to surround myself with good people, a lot smarter than I am, and we try to scale and grow a business. So that being said, let's dig right into it. You've got an idea that you want to one day launch, or you're an existing business owner with this idea. Let's talk about the type of idea. I ask you, please... Focus on where is that idea coming from? Is it an idea that is solving a problem within a given industry? And I don't just mean a problem, like a migraine-level problem. Or, or is it type of an idea where people will look at it and they'll say, it's cute, it's nice to have. Because if it, you're in the latter core category of it's nice to have and it's cute, most often those types of ideas aren't as successful as the ones that are addressing a problem. And I'll let you learn from my failures. So this was about uh, 12, 13 years ago, way, way, way back in the dark ages before an iPhone. Um, I had a a concept for a company called Weight View where I could always lose 20, 30 pounds, need to lose 20, 30 pounds. We would upload a photo, we would have a team in India digitize that photo and send it back to inspire you to buy whatever diet products we had. And it was a huge success, we had 300,000 users, we were on Rachel Ray, Good Morning America, NBC, CBS, servers were crashing, it was awesome. And then I turned on the, hey, we're gonna charge you $5 for it, crickets. Not one upload, nobody used it, and the entire venture failed. And so if you learn one thing from my failures today, please learn this, not every great idea makes money. It was a great idea. People were crying, saying you inspired me and I can't believe I remember in college I looked like that. Great idea. Didn't make any money. So you've got an idea. What's next? Execution. You know, from time to time, I am asked to take a look at a business plan, to take a look at an idea. I don't feel as if I'm more qualified than the next, but I'm always happy to do it because I want to give back. I didn't have anybody to go to. It didn't even occur to me to ask people about advice as we saw before about mentorship. And the people that come to me with an idea are so concerned that somebody's going to take their idea. They want to sign NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. And in my mind, It's not about the idea that is gonna make or break the success of your business. It's the execution of that idea. If you think about it, somebody mentioned Uber early on. Uber was not the first billion dollar concept in the ride sharing industry. There was a company right before it called Magic Car. Most of you probably never even heard of it because they didn't execute. If you take a look at Airbnb, Airbnb is a billion dollar company. What's interesting is that there were other companies before him that did the exact same thing. But these owners in particular were able to execute, whether it's on the sales model, whether it's on the design model. I actually looked it up yesterday. One of the founders, Brian Chesky, one of the founders of Airbnb, one of the hottest internet companies and technology companies within the last 10 years, unquestionably. The guy went to design school in Rhode Island because he took that concept of design and focused on executing the user experience of that business model. So we need to really focus on the execution. You can have the CEO of a company that's doing $10,000 a month, and he feels that he's reached the cap. Take that CEO, put in another CEO, and we've seen this happen time and time again, same service, same product, same team, and he's able to scale it to a million dollars a month because he's better able to execute. Two of the companies that I was involved with made, you know, they have the, uh, the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies. And so two of them made that list, so we were invited to go to, a, to one of their annual conferences. And at that conference, I had the pleasure of hearing a CEO by the name of Tony Shea. Some of you may have heard of him. He's the CEO of a very small online shoe company called Zappos. And he gave over two concepts that have stayed with me every day since then. The first, the first is called the wow factor. When he first started the company, people at the checkout would say, do I want a two-day delivery, four-day delivery, six-day delivery? Regardless of what they picked, he made sure that the shoes were sent out overnight. So the next morning, this person opened up their front door. The shoes were there. Wow. You need to figure out, future business, current business, what is your wow factor? The second thing that he pointed out, also stayed with me, was the definition of happiness. Anybody taking notes? Please, write this down. Happiness means different things to different people. What do I mean? So when I first started some of my businesses, I would use that same pitch for everybody that I spoke to, selling this particular service. And then afterwards I realized that happiness means different things to different people. So if I'm selling a service and my target is the CEO, his definition of happiness is likely revenue. But when I speak to the CFO, he doesn't really care about revenue. His definition of happiness is saving the company money. Go one step further. You speak to the general counsel. He doesn't care about saving money. He doesn't care about revenue. He wants to protect himself. So his definition of happiness is compliance. So you have to really understand your target audience and figure out what is their definition of happiness. So once you're up and running, there's the age-old question, should I bootstrap or should I raise capital? I don't think there's one answer fits all. I think it's a very personal question. Um, It depends on your ability to access capital. Some businesses are more capital intensive than others, technology, hardware. But if you are gonna go out and raise capital, I prefer the bootstrap way. If you are gonna go out there and raise capital, you have to know your presentation. You have to know your numbers. You have to be able to answer questions. But you also have to know what not to say. This is a pet peeve of mine. Some people may agree, disagree, but I'm going to share it anyway. I'm a big fan of Shark Tank. You know, a little bit of uh, a little bit childish sometimes, but I'm a big fan. There's nothing, there's nothing that gets the juices flowing while you're on the treadmill more than a Shark Tank episode. And I could love the presentation, love the CEO, love the concept. It's solving a problem. And then he gets up there and he says, one sentence and I'm out. What's the sentence? It's a billion dollar industry. If I only got 1% of the billion dollar industry, we'd make a fortune. Don't give me hypotheticals. If I, if I bought a lottery ticket, I might also win. You need to show them, if you're pitching to an investor, and even as a CEO, you can't rely on that concept. If I just had 1% of the industry, show me how you're going to get to that 1%. Demonstrate the practical steps that you're gonna to take to achieve that goal. So let's, let's dig a little bit into the trenches further. I believe that we are in the best time over the last decade to start a company. Because very likely you don't need to spend your day cold calling. You don't have to dial 300 times and get hung up on 299. With technology, the internet, social media, you're able to tell your story to the masses much easier than ever before. But at the same time, your challenge is is that you have to capture their attention. You have to story tell. And it's harder than ever to block out the noise for them to focus and capture the attention. And so the biggest asset that I think everybody in this room has, and you may not recognize that you have it, and the good news is that if you don't have it, you can easily get it, the biggest asset is your Rolodex. The Rolodex. I personally didn't learn this till much later on. I was the most anti-social guy you'll ever meet. I still am. I'd rather be that guy at a conference that's standing in the corner on my phone than networking. But we do what we have to do. And so if I had the opportunity to build my Rolodex at a younger age, I would have had a much larger network. And I think that's the key to the success of most businesses. So how can you do that today if you don't have an existing Rolodex? I'm not going to say social media. I'm not Facebook, Instagram, but LinkedIn is the answer. I don't care what business you're in, LinkedIn is the answer to growing your network. You can find investors, you can find clients, you can find anything that you're looking for to enhance your business and your targets and your objective, you can find via LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, if used properly, is about giving value to an audience. You know, they say, Most often when you ask a salesperson, ABC, ABC, what's ABC? Always be closing, always be selling, always be pitching. I humbly disagree with that. It should be ABG, you always be giving. If you can provide value to somebody, the closing will come onto itself. Just always think, how can I give value? And it could be something very simple. You know, you can have a, a guy that you're trying to do business with in the insurance industry and he lives in Houston, hey, you know, John, I noticed that there's a conference in your neck of the woods next week, thought you might enjoy it. Just give them something simple of value. It doesn't have to cost you anything. You know, you're speaking to somebody in the retail industry, you see an article, say, hey, I thought you might enjoy this article. It shows them that you care. It shows them that you're thinking about them. I'll digress for a second. I'll tell you like this. I thank God have seven kids. I run a couple of companies and it may not look like it, but I try to play basketball twice a week. So I don't have a lot of free time for... Uh, recreational reading. A couple of years ago, and I don't remember who it was, somebody gave me a small red book. And I was at a stop sign or a red light, and the book was on the passenger seat. I ended up picking it up, and I flipped through the front page. And I kid you not, I pulled over to the side of the road, and I read the book from cover to cover. And it changed the way I do business. The name of that book is called The Go-Giver. It's written by a gentleman by the name of Bob Berg, The first five people here today that connect with me or message me on LinkedIn at 9 p.m. tonight or more, I will mail you a free copy of the book. I don't have a vested interest in it. And I will tell you a story that I spoke at a similar event like this a few weeks ago. Bob Berg ended up messaging me on LinkedIn and shared a phenomenal story with me and 10,000 of our closest friends. And I will share that with you as well. Always be giving value and the business will come back to you. I'll wrap up by saying this. If you feel like you're ready to start a business, um, do your homework, don't jump in blind, but at the same time, don't procrastinate. There are people that will spend six months trying to pick out a name, and another six months trying to come up with a logo, and another six months trying to figure out which is the best location. If you know that this is something that you're passionate about and you want to give it a try, jump in. Perfection is the enemy of success, something along those lines you can't be perfect when you launch. You'll tweak it once you're live. There are things that you'll see once you're live that you never would have expected in your planning stage. I'll leave you off with this, you know, you have to have a drive. You can't take no for an answer. There was a gentleman and he's, uh, I've asked his permission to tell the story. He came to my office many, many years ago and uh, he was looking for a sales job. His name is David Lazar. My partner interviewed him, sent him to me. I didn't think it was a phenomenal fit for us. So I said, you know, We'll be in touch. We all know what that means. The next day, my secretary says, David is here to see you. I'm like, David, who's David? He's like, oh, he was the guy that was here yesterday for the interview. I was like, really? I was like, no, we're still thinking about it. Tell him I can't see him. Next day, two o'clock, David's here. Who's David? He was the guy that was here two days ago. I'm like, the sales guy? He's like, yeah. I was like, tell him I'm not available. Four days in a row. By the fourth day, I knew who David was. I said, get in here. I said, you have 30 days to prove yourself. That was about 11 years ago, probably five to six million dollars ago. And he's been one of the best salespersons I've ever met because he didn't take no for an answer. And so when he came back to me a few years after that, he said, Hey, I've got a brother. I'd like you to meet. I was like, okay, here we go again. So I went to meet the brother. We met in a Starbucks. I said, do you have any experience? No. Did you go to college? No. That's fine what qualifies you? You're 22, 23 years old. What qualifies you to be in sales? What have you been doing for the last three or four years? So he pauses and he says, I was a paratrooper for the Israeli Defense Force. I said, let me get this straight. You jumped out of airplanes? He's like, yeah. I was like, you're probably not afraid to sell that." He's like, I'm not afraid of it. And those are the types of resilient personalities that you either want to have or don't want to surround yourself with when it comes time to salespeople. So I think that the other element of being an entrepreneur is to understand that you have to have confidence, you have to have uh, the ability to sell, you have to have the ability to think big, and I wish each and everybody in this room today, number one, that you all have ideas. Great ideas, many ideas. I wish you all that you have the ability to execute, and that if you decide to go down this journey, I wish that you all find your own definition of happiness.